a whole bunch of new tires, some new wheels. The high-end bike care market's heating up. The UCI is at it yet again. And it looks like prices are dropping across the board. All that and more on this week's episode of Geek Warning, brought to you by the Escape Collective. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Warning. I'm James Huang. We've got a nearly full crew with us here today. Joining me here, next, right, physically next to me, actually, is Zach Edwards from the Bowler Gruppetto. Zach, hello. Hiya. Dave Rome, all the way from Sydney. How are you? Ah, well, thank you. Good morning. Looking at, Good evening. We're, look, we're looking at elephant butts on your wall again. Yes, yes. Uh, that's how you know you're in my home office. I have a, a, a canvas photo of elephant butts. Because why not? <laughs> and also, well, I didn't manage to photograph their faces. I, I was so. going to say we should clarify that you took that photo. Yeah, yeah. I think it's artsy, but really, it's just uh, a mother elephant with the child elephant, and all you see is their butts. So there you have it. <laughs> and also, it's a late night in Ireland for you, Ronan. Thanks for staying up for us. Yeah, uh, well, there's nothing on my wall behind me because I'm in a different room than usual. So um, I'm just trying not to wake. The rest of the house. Mm. So move, uh, moving from the office downstairs to quite a uh, How's your garage shaping up, Ronan? Because you basically, like, you kind of built that. Yeah, with the plan that that would be the, like, part of it would be the home office. Um, and yeah, I think once I got it, like, weatherproofed and and finished, I never actually got to doing the inside anymore. So it's kind of, it's it's a continual two steps forward three steps backwards sort of thing with mm. with the inside at the moment but we're getting there mm. well one of these days maybe we'll actually get to see it in person uh skipping this week's episode is kaylee frets kaylee i'm not really sure where he is right now he's doing something some sort of paperwork i believe mm. it's probably worth adding that kaylee's uh involvolvement with geek warning will become um more and more sporadic indeed uh, indeed and that was uh, always part of the founding plan. a website is uh takes your time well, I do know that he has a bunch of contracts to, to write out at this point. So, mm, yeah. yeah, so it's imp- important stuff. We do have to keep a business running here. Anyway, yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have a whole bunch of news to talk about. Let's uh, let's start with tires here first, huh? So, um, Zach, I think you would probably agree with me that uh, I think probably, I don't know, what would you say, half of the bikes that come in here come with Vittoria Corsas of some variety? <laughs> I mean, of the road bikes, probably it's usually either those or Conti GP5000s. Well, uh, Vittoria has gone ahead and redone those tires. They have a new Corsa Pro and Corsa Pro Control to replace the Corsa and Corsa Control. Um, they basically have the same casing materials that they used to have. Uh, they still claim to be a 320 TPI, well, they call it cotton, but it's a poly cotton casing. Um, they are tubeless and hookless compatible across the board, at least for uh, hookless for 28 mil and up. Uh, they're claimed to be a little bit lighter, uh, certainly claimed to be faster rolling, uh, also said to be quite a bit more puncture resistant by like 18 and 19%, which is seems like a pretty decent margin. Um, and Ronan and I have been riding on both of these for a little bit. Uh, Ronan, what do you think of these so far? Uh, well, I've been more so riding the the Corsa Pros. I, I did get the... The controls mounted there, but it just didn't get the time to to ride on those all that often. Um, but yeah, I think I think we summed it up in the article as uh, thin, light, and fast. Was not the was not the the way we had summed it I up. Believe if I so. remember correctly, yeah, I yes. Believe so. And I mean, like for me, I was always a fan of courses, but I just found them 
a little bit too soft and obviously that was kind of partly what made them so good but for the roads that i ride on a little bit too soft a little bit too cut prone and then you also had that weird thing where the tread would come away from the sidewall which was a bit scary um and it seems so far based on very limited riding that Victoria have fixed all three of those things um or fixed two of those things uh and, and they still feel as supple as nice to the touch and yeah the the actual tread coming away from the sidewall thing that that, that should that, well, can't really be an issue going going forward that that seems to be fixed so um for me so far so far so good although i'm just a little bit uh left wishing that they were a little bit wider even if a 28 does measure a 28 uh the the, the tread cap on it there it sort of leaves you wishing for a little bit more doesn't it it does seem a little narrow. So um, I actually just started getting on the Corsa Pro, and I had been riding the Corsa Pro Control. So nice little, nice little, uh, nice little match there between the two of us. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I measured the the tread cap also being a little bit narrow. The Corsa Pro Control is a little bit wider at twenty seven mil across when the tire is inflated, and the Corsa Pro is twenty five. Um, so yeah, they're quite narrow. And Victoria Victoria pretty much admitted that they are. But the tread caps are, are seemingly a little bit narrower. They, I think they said something to the effect of, you know, adjusting them for modern ETRTO standards or something like that. So they kind of dodged the question a little bit. Um, but yeah, they do seem a little narrow. I should point out that, uh, I mean, Zach, would you say that Vittoria's, I think, have been, probably have been blowing up a little bit bigger than some people expected based on what was written on the packaging? Like historically, you mean? Yeah, historically. Yeah, I would say they'd run a touch big. Um, well, now they Victoria have adjusted the sizing, so they've basically uh, adjusted the sizing so that the the tire matches up to a wider reference rim than it used to. So if you are used to running a like a twenty eight mil Victoria and epic, you're expecting it to inflate to twenty nine thirty, maybe maybe even sometimes uh, these days now a twenty eight is probably going to measure a twenty eight if you're starting on like a nineteen mil rim or something. Question on the narrow tread cap. Uh... I mean, obviously, that's done to, I guess, improve the speed of the tire, the rolling resistance of the tire. There's less less rubber interfering with that casing. But can you feel it? Like, have you have either of you lent into a corner and felt like you're you're running out of tread? I mean, I I have I have this weird training session that I do just because it's very very tough and you feel like you've done a real good workout. But uh, I don't have to go with more than 10 minutes from the back door here. Uh, so if it starts raining, I can get home pretty quickly. Um, basically, it's up and down a hill uh, repeatedly uh, for no reason. Other than, I promise for no reason other than it's an easy training session to do. Um, but that does involve turning at the bottom of a sharp descent quite a few times, depending on how long I'm out for. And I definitely just did not have the confidence to to bank it and to lean it in as much on these tires as I would have had on, on others. And, and you know, I typically use a GP5000 most often, a, a few other tires out there. Um, but in terms of comparison, I can only really compare it to the GP5000. And, you know, whether it's in my head or not just yet, I can't really comment. I probably just need to push it a bit further and, and, and get a feel for that. But it's certainly in my head at the moment. Ronan, have you actually looked at the tread cap to see how close you're getting to the edge? Not really, no. And um, I'm kind of 
that that was why I've gone down and mounted the controls also because yeah, though like based on my experience with controls previously, they will just give you a bit more confidence. You know, any, anyhow, just just with the makeup of that tire. So, uh, I would need to yeah take that take the the Corsa Pro that I've now taken off and look at that and see just how far I was pushing it. I mean, all of the like sponsored World Tour teams on Vittoria don't seem to have any problems ripping down hills and corners with the new tires. <laughs> well, you say that, but uh, I'm not sure if you watched the stage of the Giro today. But you know, people crash all the time. Let's not make assumptions about. How the Yombo Visma rider was the only one that crashed on a corner going downhill today, but <laughs> yeah, we 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 can't say they're not having any bother because yeah, we just watched one guy. It's more likely melted of... spokes, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> not with today's conditions. I would say it's more likely uh, you know wet roads, but yeah, uh, twenty twenty four hours ago I could, I could have given you that one, Zach, but not today. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, this is kind of an interesting trend that I feel like we're starting to see a little bit more often because, um, like, I know Michelin, for one of their tires in particular, ran a pretty narrow tread cap. Um, and then now Vittoria is seemingly going a little bit narrower with their tread cap. And I wonder if, as companies continue to chase lower and lower rolling resistance, I wonder if this is something that we're going to see a little bit more of. I was just going to, yeah, just going to ask, is the, I've not seen these tires in person yet. Is the tread cap the same? Like, do you guys have different sizes? size tires like is this tra- is it are they using the same tread cap on a 25 mil tire on a 28 and maybe a 30 like is, is it that kind of thing or is the tread cap getting there or wider with a wider tire as well that is a good question i don't have the answer to that right now i only received uh 28 mil samples across the board um so that is something that we'll have to follow up on with victoria that would be really interesting because then that would just be like okay they're cutting manufacturing costs if right, it's a 25 right. tread cap is the same as on a 28 tire I'd be mm-hmm. very surprised if it is. I I would too. I mean, we'll, mm. I'll, I'll follow but on up the older tires. They one. some of them were like that on the older courses. They would have like on the like printed in the tread or in the tread cap. It would say mm. pressure for this like a twenty five and pressure for a twenty eight or whatever. And maybe it wasn't all of them. It might have just been tubulars that they did that. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've really inspected them. But yeah, but no, James. To your point, I think it's. Uh, some brands are doing it and some brands are going the other way, right? Like some brands are, are really emphasizing putting uh, a, a grippy tread almost onto the sidewall, probably knowing it cost them in the Watts Wars, but uh, yeah, at the same time allows you to have a tire that you can really, really bank on without uh, without any fear. I think that's something I've commented, I can't remember if it was this podcast or one of our other podcasts recently, but just talking about tire development and how I think that's going to be not the next frontier that would be you know too strong a point to put on it but I do think we're going to see a lot of development in that area whether it's necessary it's necessary or not might be another thing but that's maybe at, at least what we're going to be hearing a lot about in the coming years and you know the example I'd given on the on whichever podcast we we're talking about previously was you know if you give Ghana 20% more grip going down the Poggio does he stay with Vanderpool? Um, you know, which is I think a, a valid question. Um, now, obviously, Vanderpool was on these Corsa Pros, so maybe that tells you one thing. And Ghana was on GP five thousands, which, yeah, uh, just goes to show you what I know uh, based on what I just said a few minutes ago. But I, I think that is you know a, a, an interesting question going forward. Is you know you've got 
you know, it's kind of like we we see in, in all these marginal gains areas. You can go more arrow and you maybe gain weight or you can wax your chain, but you maybe can't do it for an entire World Tour team or you can optimize, you know, this, that and the other. But uh, you you usually have something else that you give up in, in the at the same time. And are we going to see that going forward where you maybe give up a bit of rolling resistance uh, or you maybe increase your rolling resistance a little, but you've got so much more grip that you can make up for it on specific courses and, and vice versa. And I think, I think we could all agree that if, if that does happen and we end up with, you know, better and better tires that are just uh, providing more grip, that's a good thing for, for everybody, you know, beyond the world tour. I'm, I'm just, uh, Amused at the idea of having like gravity road tires, <laughs> shredded in as one ride. Yeah, the double down, the double yeah. down Corsa. I'm yeah, mixing. Super- I'm mixing brands there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in other news on the tire front, uh, Specialized actually has a new tire called the Mondo. It's not tire, James. <sighs> I, I know. They're marketing. I know. Don't uh, call it a tire. What did, What do they call it again? Endurance Zach? engineering. Uh, it's a tire. I Let's can't wait to lower right. pressure in my endurance engineering. It's a tire. They have a new tire. It's an endurance tire called the Mondo. Um, Specialized, of course, claims it to be the fastest endurance tire around. It's meant to sit in the gap between the turbo range and the Roubaix tire range. Uh, the construction's pretty normal for the most part. It's a 120 TPI nylon casing. Um, it's some kind of, quote, woven nanofiber, unquote, non-stretch bead, which I'm guessing it's probably Xylon, which is what most companies seem to be using right now. Um, and, of course, they're saying it's like 11% faster than the next closest competitor. They're running a dual-density compound. Uh, same compound same compound as their turbo race tires, actually. Uh, there's a breaker belt under the tread and their sidewall protection for, uh, I guess, extra cut and pinch resistance apparently hooked and hook is compatible 28 28 32 and 35 mil sizes weights range from 310 to 360 grams uh they're not terribly expensive all things considered they're about 80 bucks us 80 euros uh, i don't know what it is in australia or pounds uh, but that should give you it should give you an idea yeah. of where these sit they're um, similar to in price to a, a gp5000 or a vittoria so yeah, not terribly expensive in- but still more expensive than a tire should cost Similar range as other high end stuff right now. Yeah. And yeah. Tire, bike tires, nice bike tires these days were definitely pretty expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, now, as far as these tires go, um, I, I first find it kind of funny that they have revised the Mondo name because I remember when they used this the first time and uh, it was like 15 years ago or something. I don't know if, if any of you remember these, but they were, they tried to build them as sort of like a, they're kind of tire. Yeah, like modeled after a MotoGP tire and like a similar profile with sort of like a, a pronounced crown down the center and then kind of like a like a little bit more it was it was almost kind of like diamond shaped profile. And it, they were saying like, you know, puts more rubber on the road when you corner and that sort of thing. And I, I mostly thought it just made the tire feel really weird. Um, but I'm happy to say that these are very pleasantly round. And so far I've only had a few rides on them so far, but they actually feel pretty good. Yeah, so I guess just to just to clarify on this, this is a new S Works level endurance tire. So James said it fits between the Turbo and the Roubaix. Uh, the Roubaix Pro continues in the range. This is basically a S Works level of the Roubaix Pro. I guess if you're if you're really trying to summarize up their their lineup. Um, I mean, so yeah, Roubaix is more of a training tire. I would say it is. It is. Yeah, there's a lot more. Um, material to the, the Roubaix Pro. So this is definitely a lot lighter and meant to be faster rolling, but 
yeah, it's it's I guess they're uh, equivalent to a bunch of other new tires, like the a bunch of four season style tires that we've seen from other brands recently. Is it just me, or is anybody else confused by all the talk of speed and endurance uh, in in the one sentence and stuff that just normally doesn't really go together? That it's even more is, confusing is that none of the pro teams ride this; they all ride the old turbo cottons. Well, oh, those turbo cons are so good, though. <laughs> Actually, the the Mondo, every specialized squad at Paris Bay, uh, and every rider, if I remember correctly, uh, both men's and women's races were on these new Mondo tires. I asked specialized on the ground why they reused that name, and they, I was, I was told to just easier to reuse the same name. Yep. Um, naming is very hard, and. Um, yeah, just just and that, that was so it struck me because it was so different from the week before where we literally had almost every tire option available to specialized teams on show at the Tour of Flanders. Uh and then Roubaix, they were all on this one new tire type. So uh you know, and that that comes off the back of a spring where we've seen specialized teams mixing tubulars, tubeless clinchers uh across, across their wheels. So it was kind of it was interesting to see that they had all confirmed on the one tire for for Roubaix, uh, and certainly, you know, every everybody had tire problems at Roubaix. So, we, but I don't remember any specifically on specialized teams. So that that's you know perhaps an indicator of 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 where this tire is going also, or how this tire performs also. Um, but if you want to, you know, if you want to add a bit more intrigue into it, you've then got Remco in the Giro today who started the stage on something that looks like these Mondo tires. I can't quite get a photo to see properly exactly what he was on, but the rear tire may or may not have said Mondo. The front tire definitely does not. The front tire just says Project Black, which is specialized sort of standard comment on newly developed or items still in development. I just love that Ronan's the only person in the world that uses all 50 megapixels of, of Corvos photos. <laughs> uh, How much more I, can I zoom in? Yeah. How much more? Yeah. At home, CSI zooming on every single thing in hats. In well, hats. The, in, the interesting thing about today... It doesn't work like today, it does on TV, though. Strangely not. No, the enhanced really does not. Either that or I'm not using it right, but... Um, the really interesting thing about today, though, was when the stage dried up later in the stage, Remco then swapped to a different bike, which seemingly had turbo cottons on it. Um, but on both setups, so whether you're using the Mondo, some Project Black new tire we know nothing about, or uh, and eventually with the turbo cottons later, he was still running clincher. So uh, it would make sense if he's running these new Mondos in the wetter conditions that they had earlier in the stage might provide a bit more grip, but more puncture uh, protection. But what doesn't make sense is why he was still riding it uh, with, a, with an inner tube. That was the part that sort of stumped me. And, and the commentators on, on GCN, they, they did mention that he had changed from wet weather tires to dry tires, which all of us were sort of mm. scratching our heads about. And I've asked specialized for comment on and haven't had a reply yet. Uh, but yeah, perhaps mm. more tires come from Specialized. Who knows? Um, regardless of whatever was going on with Remco's tires, uh, is anyone else finding it kind of interesting that there's seemingly a lot more attention being paid to kind of like nicer endurance slash training-ish tires than there used to be? Yes, in the tubeless spaces especially. Like I went 
I went years looking for uh, and hoping for such a tire, a tubeless endurance style road tire that didn't uh, puncture at the sight of glass. And uh, it appears that only in the last 12 months, uh, I feel like we've got there. And every brand's now finally come out with something. But uh, it's taken us a while to get here. It's kind of nice to see, though, because it used to be that you just had like really, really nice tires to choose from. Mm -hmm. And then just like kind of a bunch of eh tires. Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. these are like the nice tire for normal people. Yeah. Yes, the the everyday performance tire. I, I kind of like this trend, though, because realistically, I mean, like I, I remember this was years and years ago for, uh, I'm pretty sure this was years ago for another publication. Um, can't remember how many years ago now. This rack my memory about this. But anyway, I tested a set of Vittorio Corsa Speeds, and they were like amazingly fast. Felt so good. And then you flatted. Uh, I didn't flat yet, but I only did a couple of rides on it because I was so terrified of flatting. Um, and then when I got home after the last ride and told, took the tires off and inspected them, then I realized that I was very close to flatting. Um, but anyway, um, like in a race on like a prepped course or something like that, they probably would have been amazing, but, um, you know, there just didn't really seem to be a whole lot of middle, middle ground tires back then. And, uh, and yeah, there's like, there's like a wealth of options at the moment. You've got like Grant Conti has a bunch of good ones, Pirelli, um, you know, Vittoria now with this course and next and so on. Uh, there's just plenty of good choices now. Yep. No, it's definitely a, a good trend to see. Uh, I guess next I'd like to see prices come back down. Nonsense. Mm, yeah. <laughs> 80 bucks a tire seems kind of high. Uh, yeah. well, another thing that is, that, that just came out recently that is definitely not inexpensive, uh, Chris King we discovered is expanding their range of uh, complete wheels. Uh, they have a new aero all road model. Um, shoot, Dave, I don't have this info in front of me. Do you want, do you have that? Yeah, in front sure. of you? Do you want, do you want yeah. to run through this one? It's the, the ARD 44. Uh, so it's Chris King's first, uh, I guess, first in-house road wheel, uh, performance road wheel, should I say. And uh, it's using the fusion fiber technology. So it's actually the first road fusion fiber rim. So that's the the thermoplastic rims that are made in Utah. Uh, yeah, so 44 millimeter depth, um, thermoplastic construction, hookless, which uh, I know plenty of people won't be super stoked on. Uh, it's a 25 mil internal width hookless rim. So a little on the wide side, um, quite in line with, say, zip firecrest wheels. Uh, but yeah, it seems it seems like a, a pretty nice wheel, and it's, it's cool to see this thermoplastic technology... Uh, meet other disciplines now they're fairly light too i feel like they're yeah. saying they're like 1500 grams because yeah, most 15, of the thermoplastic stuff yeah most of the thermoplastic stuff's a bit heavier yeah it's a 435 gram rim so it's uh yeah i mean that's it's competitive um it's probably a little heavier than other high-end 44 millimeter depth wheels at this price point but I mean, it's not terribly so king hubs are definitely not known for being light so no, no. So, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I like the, the thermoplastic trend. So it's, it's cool to see. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just that it's being expanded upon. Yeah. And I know one big thing that Chris King in particular has been really, uh, one thing that the company really prioritizes, I guess the, I guess the company and the person, um, is, uh, like if you ever go and visit the Chris King factory, they, it, it's very clear that they have a very strong emphasis on, 
kind of environmentalism, sustainability, that sort of thing. And this was well before before any of that stuff was kind of yeah. trendy. Yeah. Um, and one big draw of the way Fusion Fiber, um, I guess CSS Composites is the is the parent company. One of the ways that uh, one of the appeals of how they do rims is uh, apparently there's very very little waste associated with these things because. Um, my understanding is they're, they're a little coy on how exactly their process works, I guess, for understandable reasons. Um, but my understanding is a lot of this is kind of robotically cut and placed as far as the fibers and, and molds and that sort of thing. So there's, they're saying there's very, very, very little material waste. And then whatever waste there is uh, produced after the rim production, they, they take that stuff and chop it up and make it into short fiber tire levers pretty fancy yep. um and likewise if the rim fails or you crack a rim it can be sent back and they can repurpose it for the same purpose exactly yeah they just chop it up and make make other things out of it which is pretty neat but uh but yeah so that that aspect is is pretty cool and i think it's kind of funny that we're looking at a 44 mil deep rim with a 25 mil internal width and we're kind of like eh ho-humming at the fact that it's like a 40 430 mil rim weight like that's pretty good i think yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not uh, disappointed by the rim weight at all. I guess I'm a little reluctant by the rim width and the fact that there are no hooks, which yeah, I think will uh, limit market appeal. But yeah, it's uh, anyway. That's that's for a different conversation that we've had many times already. <laughs> well, I have a I have a set of those inbound apparently for review at some point. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I guess I have to make the decision on if I want to get a set in sooner then they can get in sooner, but then they'll just be black hubs. But if I wait until, if I wait a couple weeks, I can wait for purple ones. Should definitely mm. get purple. That, I, I, that's kind of the way I'm leaning to. That seems like there's no question. All right. Well, that's, that's settled then. Does purple, purple, does purple work on every bike? So. Uh, it's going to work on the bike that these are going to go on. So <laughs> they're definitely going to work on the bike. really on happy bike. that they brought purple back. You know, and it's funny because I, I'm definitely old enough when I remember purple being in mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. And I definitely did not have and could not afford enough purple stuff at that time. And I'm looking forward to having another crack at it. Yeah, okay. Ronan, <laughs> Ronan's holding up his inflatable gym ball. <laughs> it, it is very purple. Anodized purple. I know it's, it's an, not anodized. An anodized it looks purple was exercise ball, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm. With no air, mm. it's just a, a just a aluminium sphere that they've anodized, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not the most comfortable. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, right now, Dave, CSS is apparently the only company that's making these thermoplastic rims for all these other companies at the moment. Yep. Um, but they clearly have a growing range of clients that they're making rims for. Um, do you think that this is going to be a continuing trend? Um, because it is a little bit unusual to have one company making a bunch of rims for other brands right now. Yeah, my my understanding is that potentially there's some patents in the way here, but the main the main barrier to entry for other competitors, should I say, is is uh, just the initial setup cost. So from what I understand, the the actual cost of production once you've got all the machinery is very low because it's very very low human effort. Um, very quick to do, very automated. Uh, but the actual, yeah, initial setup cost is is immense and and far greater than uh, normal thermoset practices. So I think that's probably why we haven't seen competitors come into the market. I think if CS, uh, CSS can uh, prove 
the market demand and, and kind of change uh, market favorability toward thermoplastic, then I suspect we'll probably see some competitors set up in Asia. I mean, I know there's no other companies in the bike industry making products out of this, but are there like other industries that use thermoplastic stuff or is it mainly like such a new technology that it's not really widely used yet? Uh, if I understand correctly, it's pretty common in automotive mm. uh, and aerospace, actually, I think. Yeah, pretty pretty sure it's used uh, extensively in Formula One as well, which uh, given that it tends to be a little heavier, it might seem strange with the weight focus there, but actually it's for all the, compliance benefits or, or dampening I shouldn't say compliance I should say dampening uh, benefits that it offers within within Formula One that's that's why it's so popular there so um, that that's the only use case I know of it elsewhere mm. well that and if they need to make a little arrow tweak they can just like heat it up with a hair dryer and like stick like push things with thumb <laughs> Ooh, I like <laughs> yeah. the sound of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how these wheels are because having ridden a handful of thermoplastic rims, they do actually seem to ride differently than thermoset wheels, uh, which is which I find pretty intriguing. Um, and so far, it's only been something I've ridden on, I guess, mountain bike rims and gravel rims. And I really wonder how much more pronounced that effect is going to be on a road rim where uh, that damping could actually prove to be pretty, pretty substantial. We'll see. Um, but yeah, we'll find out pretty soon. I'm I'm eager to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, me too. And mm. I'm especially eager to see how purple these hubs are. Um, <laughs> moving on. Um, Dave, we have some interesting developments from Ceramic Speed, don't we? Like because they've had they've had a few products in their I call it their UFO line for a little while, but now they're about to have a whole bunch more, aren't they? Yeah, they've revamped their entire bike care lineup. So we've seen a few brands do this. Um, Silka has also strongly gotten into this game. Uh, and yeah, the the main thing here is is mainly a branding and a visual revamp. So everything now follows the same packaging, the same sort of uh, yeah labeling system. Uh, and with that, they've got... So the UFO Clean remains, which is probably one of the best bicycle degreases money can buy um they've got their bearing clean which is uh i was very skeptical when this came out it's basically a, a degreaser specifically for bearings but oh my it, it works incredibly well uh and it's got sort of like a an anti-rust agent as well so if you don't get all the degreaser out you you don't end up damaging um any of the bearings that you you can do with uh more aggressive solvents and, and therefore not getting all the grease back into the bearing uh They've also got a new bike cleaner, which I guess is kind of in like the muck off space of things. But knowing ceramic speed, it it probably does some things better. Um, have not used that one yet. Uh, and then yeah, lube wise, they've apparently tweaked the formula of uh, of the drip dry, um, but they've also renamed that to be, I believe, it's now the all conditions. Uh, they've got a new version of that, which is specifically for indoor riding, which is meant to be less flaky than before. Um, and then there's also a new one coming out, which hasn't quite officially launched yet, but they're going to have a wet conditions wax lube as well. Zach. I've had the wet lube here in a sample bottle for a while and I've not like a couple months and I've not used it because it doesn't, it's dry here. So I'm waiting on comment. Ronan, should we discuss this? We're, we're waiting on comment from Ceramic Speed on this because you and I have tested it. Mm-hmm. Should we Should we mention our concerns um, with this product? Well, I mean, like, our findings like so far. Now that you've 
Tease our us findings like so far are not going to change. Uh, so we should probably say that we're awaiting comment from Stromic Speed as to why. Well, in why? my case, at yeah. least, I because they to- they delayed. Sorry, so just to just to wind back a little bit, this this wet loop's not officially out yet because they've actually delayed the launch by a week. But they they understand that the product's out in the market, so there's not like a hard embargo. So I think we're still allowed to talk about it, but. They they hinted at maybe there being a, a production issue with this loop that they need an extra week to sort, and that had me asking them just to confirm whether the sample loops we had were potentially somehow different to their end goal. Um, because, and I'll let Ronan explain this one. Well, I, I used the 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 new wet drip a couple of occasions and. Hadn't really noticed all that much. It, it hadn't actually got wet conditions, so there wasn't all that much to, to really report. But then I specifically uh, sterilized my chain, did the whole deep clean process that you need to do before you wax a chain that Traumic Speed recommends for this. Applied the recommended amount, which does does feel like quite a lot of of this. It's a lot, lube, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. You need it's to like, like drop every every link twice. Uh, so twice at yeah. on top and twice on the bottom. Uh, so yep. that's that's a lot. And then the next day, so it had about 20 hours of drying time. And the next day I did a 104-kilometer road race in not raining but wet conditions. So the ground was wet, but it wasn't actually raining at any point during the race, as far as I remember. And... With about 30 kilometers to go, I started hearing some chain squeak. And I, first of all, thought it was my chain. And I thought, no, it couldn't be. I've got the wet drip on. <laughs> <laughs> so then I started thinking to myself, ha ha, the suckers in the breakaway with me are going to be losing watts to their squeaky chains. And then I noticed that as the riders rotated around, the squeaking wasn't going away and it was only on my chain. <laughs> and it was, I could hear it all the time. And... Yeah, by the time I got to the finish, uh, the 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 chain was entire. You know, it was completely uh, dry. It was, uh, yeah, it, it it just hadn't done what what I thought it was going to do in those wet conditions. To make matters worse, it was the next day before I got home. I didn't have any lube with me, so by the time I got home the next day, the chain was starting to corrode and all already, which was you know on a new Shimano twelve speed chain, really not what I was hoping to see. Yeah. Um, I won't. I won't take us on too much of a tangent, but the twelve-speed chains do seem to be a bit more um, uh, willing to corrode than than what you'd expect of a high-end chain. You know, the thought sort of crossed my mind after the finish, but didn't yeah. really think about it too much. Like, yeah, it'll be fine till tomorrow, but it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Um, no, uh, my my experience with this also this new wet lube is very similar. Um, I got less distance in much harsher conditions. I got caught out in the rain with like fifty five k on a freshly degreased and relube chain with with this stuff, and uh, yeah, by by sixty five k, like you know, only fifteen k in very heavy rain, but but uh, yeah, sixty five k on the chain, and uh, I too was hearing quite the loud squeak, so. I would like to hear back from Ceramic Speed still, but uh, but yeah, I mean, early impressions are that this lube isn't living up to the claim and that I guess it's worth reiterating that I actually think the the original, the drip dry uh, that is now renamed as the All Conditions is still one of my favorite chain lubes on the market. So uh, 
I'd like to give Sonic Speed the benefit of the doubt on this, but yeah, early impressions are not good. I, I kind of wonder if they got the wrong label on the wrong bottle. If that, <laughs> if, oh, if that was the, if that no. was the, if that was the issue, what was it—a production issue or something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but like this one is definitely tackier than the regular. Um, That's yeah, what it's supposed to be. It's supposed dry. to be stickier, right? Yeah, mm. it's it's noticeably stickier because I I noticed it picking up more more grit than what I'm what I'd like and what I've seen with the the dry version. Is the idea well, behind it that it's still faster than a normal oil lube in the that way? that is the idea yes yes yep. but is it still faster than a normal oil lube when there's no lube left no my chain yeah. really was not faster by the end of that race <laughs> yeah um, but uh, uh, that's actually you've just reminded me one of the first things i noticed about it on applying it was just you know when you drip on uh, especially with the silka super secret uh drip you, you drip Part, you drip it onto the chain, but most of it just falls off immediately with this mm-hmm. new ceramic speed. It it actually does hold to the yep. chain much better until you get to like three quarters of the way through the application process that it recommends, and then you, there's just drip everywhere. The chain can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so. yeah, the other thing, like, so as Ron is saying, like, you're basically coding the chain four times for an application. At the same time, and this is just so odd to me, um, Ceramic Speed have basically pitched that they've made the bottles smaller in their chain lobe to make the product more affordable, to make it more accessible for everyone. But the other way to look at that is your bottle's smaller, so you've got less chain lobe, so you're actually probably paying more per milliliter than with well, a I, larger bottle. I, I actually chatted with them at Seattle about this. Yeah. And, uh, before we give people the impression that uh, that ceramic speed is actually charging more for this um if i remember correctly and i'm pretty sure i had i'm pretty certain i had this exact discussion with the ceramics the with the ceramic speed guy at sea otter the per milliliter cost actually is lower now despite the fact that the bottle is cheaper so my my understanding is they basically wanted to lower the lower the cost of entry to get into ceramic speed chain lube Mm -hmm. so instead of having to pay uh, what was it like 45 bucks for a bottle or something like that sure. um now it's it's a smaller bottle but it's also a lower price comparatively cheaper all right and it is and it is lower price slightly per milliliter okay so, all right that's good i'd say more but it sounds like you still have to use a lot yeah. of it so hmm. this I, I will say that all this discussion is is not helping to sway zach's opinion of chain of wax chain lube no, I I have no problem with wax chain lube. I mean, this is a whole we could just go down a whole topic, but I just hate that the people that are very pro chain waxing are like this is the only solution. Everyone should be doing it. If you don't do it, you're an idiot. That's the response that a lot of the chain waxing people do, and that's just not realistic for 98% yeah. of the cyclists out there. Well, 98% is a bit extreme, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just the world we live in now, Zach. It's like re- replace chain wax with any other thing that people do nowadays. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. But like, it's people, that's the people that are selling the, the chain wax that are using this argument. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it'd, be, it'd be nice if they could just be honest and be like, if you consistently ride in dry conditions and you're pretty decent about keeping things clean and whatnot, and you, yeah. and you are willing to do the full prep beforehand, that this stuff is great. Like I use it on my bike most of the time because it's really dry around here and it's great. Right. But the moment you ride through like some snow melting across the road or like any sort of moisture, it's absolutely garbage. And right. I think so that, it, and it'd be better if they just came out and said that flat, yeah, like totally. just admitted it. I, I have a confession to make in that I rode indoors today 
specifically <gasps> to avoid getting my recently waxed chain wet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or did you wax your chain so you had the excuse to ride indoors? Yeah, you do love to ride inside. Subconscious yeah. thing going on. Maybe? Um it's the the whole wax thing, I mean it's it's not going away. The trend is more and more towards drip waxes that emulate uh melt on wax. Like the they really are getting that stuff to to a point where melt on wax is becoming less relevant and less required to get these really impressive longevity results. Uh and I know Silka consider wax to be the future of chain lubes. I know Ceramic Speed consider it. So the 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 brands that are dare I say, actually doing legitimate R&D in the space uh, are only heading in one direction with this stuff. But at the same time, I acknowledge Zach's point and there are still compromises and it's still not for everyone. And I think, I think the, the drip, like the trend towards making drip wax better is fantastic. Like it's way easier, but I think a lot of people still, they buy it and they're like, oh, you need to clean the chain. Mm-hmm. And most people's idea of cleaning the chain is like the same as cleaning their bike. Can they hose it off? maybe use some just soap or something and like kind of scrub the chain and it's still this oily chain and they put this wax on top of it and then it's a worse than doing just oil based loop and i think that there needs to be either more education on this or like stram and shimano or kmc or someone needs to recognize that okay lots of people are waxing chains what if we sell this one model as a pre-wax chain and then it's ready to go and then all you have to do is apply your favorite drip lube on it like I think there, that would be way also easier the, for people. There's also the drying time thing, which I find a lot of people yeah. not a lot of people, but I've I've definitely noticed Yeah. You know, you a can't apply like what yeah, 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 for sure. You like you yeah. come back from a ride and you're like, Oh, my chain's making a bit of noise, I need to loop that. But by the time you get home, you're cracked and you're just hungry and you like hang the bike up and forget about it, and then you go to ride the next day and you're like, Oh wait, my chain needs lubing and then with wax that doesn't work. Nope. Not so much. So yeah, well, definitely yeah. As Zach said, it's a it's an education thing. So that's that's the biggest inhibitor here. Um, and I'd like to think brands are working toward that, but uh, really, I think it'll be up to the likes of us to do it. Uh, well, Dave, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your experience and Ronan your experience about this stuff, and uh, looking forward to hearing what Ceramic Speed has to say. So, mm-hmm. uh, Dave, are you going to do a written article on that? Is that the plan? Uh, it's what you wanted. I, I, um, was waiting to hear back from Ceramic Speed, but, uh, generally speaking, I'm not really all that into reviewing single bottles of lube because, uh, without the comparative data, um, it's just a bit, a bit meh. Paging Adam Kieran. Paging yeah. Adam Kieran. Yeah. But, uh, four. definitely expect at some point I, I will do, um, I will get back on the, the chain loop beat and yeah, uh, at some point you'll, you'll hear about this chain loop. All right. Well, the other part of this, um, you mentioned that they, ceramic speed kind of is expanding their, their range of bike care and Silke has been getting a little bit deeper into this. Um, I kind of find that segment a little bit interesting also because we certainly have had various, bike washes and cleaners and these sorts of things over the years. And it feels like this is another segment where there there's like more premium stuff out there, I guess to, yeah. to, to describe it that way. Um, Silco certainly is making a big deal out of this and ceramic speed is making a like somewhat bigger deal out of it. Uh, has anyone used this stuff yet? I just got some samples in, so I haven't actually used it yet, but I'm curious if this stuff is as good as it's supposed to be. I mean, it's not in terms of using it, but in terms of why there's more of it, it seems like it's just a really high margin product. 
that you can make make That's a lot of fair. things sell yeah. a lot. Yeah. I've no doubt that this is high margin product. Um, but one thing that I'm wondering in particular is, well, first of all, if it does work as well as these various companies are saying it does, but um, I was having a, a chat with a buddy of mine uh, and he's, he's really into cars and bikes, um, but he's really into cars and he's also really into like car care. Um, and he was pointing me to a whole bunch of car care products that a lot of these sounded very, very similar and Weird. uh yeah very odd and and yet they they very much claim to do very similar things and yet they were you know although more expensive than some stuff that you would get at like a like a you know target or walmart or whatever it was still quite a bit cheaper per fluid volume than than the bike stuff and i'm wondering how different the stuff really is yeah like credit to josh portner of silka because he's pretty open about where the origins of a lot of his products come from um and he's not shy to say it's it's from the automotive world i mean there's been huge progression in high-end automotive car and high-end automotive care as far as like ceramic technology and other uh durable sort of dirt resistant coatings uh and yeah portner's kind of saying he's he's very much using similar manufacturers to some of the high-end products there. I guess the stipulation that he added is that their products are typically a little bit different because bicycles have sometimes unique demands. So a lot of those car care products don't necessarily need to be, uh, uh, they don't need to, to care for like bearings and rubber seals and carbon fiber and clear coat and, uh, fake leather and rubber and everything else that the a bicycle has all exposed. Um, also, like dissimilar metals all over a bicycle as well, which again cars typically avoid fairly well. Um, so yeah, he said there are some unique engineering requirements around making these products better. That said, I have no doubt that a lot of other products in the market uh, are just relabeled, um, and I think that has always been the case in the bicycle world. Is chain lubes and all of that have just been relabeled products from other industries uh and if anything i think these days we're seeing that less we're seeing uh real bike specific products at the market which is the case with these these chain lubes we're just talking about so yeah i think i think the trend is is uh is positive at the moment and yes these products are expensive yes they're high margin products the other thing is they're high turnover products so uh for a brand like silka Bike care is actually very profitable because if you can get a customer to buy your chain loop, they become a customer four times a year. Uh, so yeah, I think there are many reasons why brands are flocking to this to this segment, but at the same time, I think we're benefiting through better product. Right, and the reality is there aren't going to be a whole lot of people making a lot of their own like at home wax lube setups or like you know homemade cleaners and that sort of thing. This is not really going to happen too much. No, not super common. So. Um, well, uh, last bit of product news before we move on to some UCI stuff. Uh, and speaking of price, um, I actually just got a press release today. We were talking the other day about how uh, a couple of companies now have been announcing uh, price decreases for various reasons. Or, you know, reduced shipping costs, for example, and need to clear out inventory, that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I just got a press release from Salsa saying that they have dropped prices on a whole, whole bunch of bikes. Um, I guess topping out at about 750 bucks on some higher end full suspension mountain bike models. Um, but also like lower price stuff, you know, you have, uh, price drops of like 250 bucks on certain models. Like, uh, like Dave, like the, like the, the aluminum journey, journeyer uh gravel bikes that you and i uh, really 
liked quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a little bit cheaper. That's so anyway. Um, kind of nice to see that prices are continuing to drop a little bit from yeah. various companies, and I still think that this is going to continue ha- to happen as companies need to clear out more stuff. Yeah, it needs to. So um, yeah, a good trend. Can I also bring up a very exciting new news on uh, new bearing tools? Oh, tools! Of course, Dave. Of course. Oh always. yes. Um, I think I've teased this one previously, but uh, I like bearing tools. Bearing tools are great. Uh, you should re- you should rephrase that statement. You like tools. It doesn't matter. I what do, kind of but the category are. of bearing tools I find very intriguing. Anyway, so there's uh, a bit of development in terms of bearing removal tools. So uh, specifically in relation to what I would call uh, not necessarily captured, but blocked bearing so often if you were to take a free hub off a a rear wheel you'd have uh two bearings with a spacer tube sandwiched between them which kind of joins the two bearings together and that spacer tube can make it really difficult to get behind the bearing to then remove the first bearing Uh, and this has long been a problem there's been a few tools that sort of let you expand into the bearing and then use a punch to to remove them uh, the other option would be to use like a blind hole bearing remover, which again expands in, and then you you have like this slide hammer that you you smash the bearing out of. Um, but yeah, two new companies have basically in the last week both released uh, quite different products that that aim to achieve much the same thing. So Noble Wheels out of the UK, uh, London-based manufacturer, uh, they have a new puller that is basically replicating Chris King's hub tool set with the the split ring in the in the Chris King hub, um, sorry, in the in the Chris King tool, and yeah, the split ring expands into the bearing, and then there's a basically like a an acetal cup that sits against the outside, and you you wind it all together, and it pulls the bearing out dead straight and really neatly without a hammer. Uh, and then there's a company out of Canada, Alt Alt, who uh, are currently. I think they're about to launch this. Um, you can pre-order it now, but uh, they've got a a pretty clever idea where they've basically offset this puller. So as you wind it, it um it it slips into behind that spacer tube, and uh, as you wind it, it it works its way around the bearing. Um, very hard to explain on a podcast, but uh, yeah, I'd say alt alt if you can find that on Instagram or or the website, and you have a a liking to bearing tools, then check it out. I dare say that we're soon going to see some sort of written article about this on Escape Collective. Oh, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, stay tuned for that one. Um, anyway, uh, enough with product talk right now. Uh, Ronan, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about uh, a new equipment registration process from the UCI. What have you managed to find out since then? Like, what Did, did we determine anything from the UCI about all this? Um, yes and no. Yes, in that it's seemingly definitely happening ahead of this year's Tour de France because that draft document has now become uh, some sort of a final document and is published on the UCI's website, uh, which suggests to me that it's definitely happening. It's up there with the other, uh, it's on the equipment page of the UCI website for anybody who's looking for it. Uh, you'll find that in my bookmarks bar. And it's right beneath the same registration process that they use for track and uh, Olympic track. Uh, so, yeah, seems like it's happening. But uh, strangely, the UCI had this time last week promised us a comment on 
the draft document that we had uh that was delayed another day or two after we spoke in the podcast long story short i sort of said well here look we're gonna have to publish what we have here um at one point i was told that the response was delayed because the respondee was on a plane um i'm not sure for how long but this was going on for days and then finally i was told that the (laughs) uci couldn't provide a comment because the document is now public and that uh, yeah I'm, tr- I'm trying to confirm exactly why the yeah the huh. draft document i could understand that they couldn't comment on that but um from from what i can from what i can establish they're probably going to make some announcement themselves about this uh before the tour de france Sounds and like probably want to keep UCI. it for it still Talk, blows oh, no, my we're mind get that they're the using the tour de france to test this <laughs> Uh, why not do it at some smaller event and just yeah. like like Dauphiné or something like that and see how it goes I can imagine that and they then... just would not get this by the teams for anything other than the Tour de France uh, because mm. it's such a huge workload for all the teams um, they, they, they just yeah if you try to enter just for I don't know GP Marseilles or something like that yeah it's not going to happen uh, and then also you know uh, unless it's World Tour you end up with a mixture of Conte, Pro Conte, World Tour teams, um, and Conte and World Tour on the on the women's side, and and then you know those teams would have to conform to something that they would not, you know, they're ultimately not participating in the Tour de France. So ultimately, it, where the UCI wants to roll this out, uh, they wouldn't even be there. So you, I guess you couldn't really ask them to conform to this process. What what just still baffles me is that they've decided upon this in April and want to roll it out for this year's Tour de France. It's like, if it was next year's Tour de France, then, okay, you know, there there is, yeah, I, I genuinely think there's some, you know, good in what they're trying to do here. Uh, it just all seems a little rushed for me. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to any of the teams or mechanics or anyone? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> none of which want to be named. Um, but I, I spoke to... A uh, couple of teams, a mechanic, uh, like a team liaison, and a manufacturer, uh, and all of them cursed multiple times. I mean, what happens if all the teams come together and are like, we don't want to do this? I was actually just going to ask the same question. Uh, you probably won't get all the teams coming together because uh, presumably, I don't know, Cofidis or Intermarche or something maybe don't mind if Ineos can't rock up with four or five new sets of wheels and new helmets or whatever, you know, or Yumbo can't, you know, land with whatever new technology they have. So you're probably not going to get a whole pile of agreement on it. Uh, although that said, it would probably, you know, favor the smaller teams not to have to do it because you know the likes of Yumbo and that can just throw money at or maybe not Yumbo but UAE and any else can probably throw money at having a compliance officer or something like that who just ensures that everything is is registered um but yeah the one manufacturer I spoke to are developing or not even developing they've effectively finished a new bike that they hope to introduce just ahead of the Tour de France and have used at the Tour de France. And right now they have no idea whether or not their team will be permitted to ride this bike um, and the bars and the wheels and everything that's going with it. The, I mean, we touched on this in last week's episode, but I mean, this whole thing doesn't necessarily solve the problem that they're trying to solve. Um, 
you mentioned that they're going to weigh products as a way of verification against uh, actual approved product. Uh, have you? Do you have any insight on what that looks like? Like what sort of variance they allow? Because there's normally like a five, five, maybe ten percent variance in some production products in terms of actual weight. I mean, like if you took the smallest frame and the biggest frame and weighed them and got the heaviest, biggest one, the lightest, smallest one, maybe then 10%, but 10% from, you know, across the same size, two different frames in the same size seems unlikely to me. But that thinking about that sense, that, you know, kind of also just strikes me how sort of, let's say old school the UCI are that if they're really worried about teams turning up with lighter frames and the frame is even if it is I don't know three four hundred grams lighter which it, yeah well, it's not even going to be that but say it's a hundred grams lighter it's not going to be a performance gain <laughs> it's not going to make that team any faster it's like yeah focus your energies and your resources on something that will make um, a difference like soccer uh should they maybe should they maybe maybe focus on having more reliable measurement jigs? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're referring to the sort of fiasco that unfolded ahead of the state, first stage of the the Giro. Is that right, James? I I most definitely am. What happened there? Uh, basically, the UCI turned up on Saturday morning and realized that the time trial jig that RCS, the Giro organizers, have was corroded and wasn't measuring accurately for whatever reason. There wasn't like, basically a text message came out from Michael Rogers, who's head of innovation at the UCI saying, we've had this problem. We think it's corrosion on the magnetic track that the device uses for measurement. That's causing the problem. We're not sure, but we can't use it either way. We're looking into it. In the meantime, Cofidis, Team Cofidis have lent us their jig and we will be doing only the, the the time trial bike checks like immediately before the rider goes to the start line. So normally at big races like this, they have a check at you know say nine ten a.m. in the morning, and then another one immediately before the rider goes on to the start ramp. And the morning check is supposed to just check everything's compliant. There's not going to be any last minute surprises. And then the evening or the the pre start check is just for the UCI to make sure you haven't checked anything or changed anything in between. Yeah. Yeah. So there was only going to be the pre start check at the Giro. And because Confidence Jig was the old one prior to last year's uh, new jig that the UCI introduced, the UCI actually had to increase the tolerances that they would permit for teams to fall outside of. Um, rather than have someone caught out on the start line. So yeah, it was all just a bit of a mess. Uh, And putting two two together, my theory is that the last time this jig was used was at Torino Adriatico, which was pouring rain that day. And someone hasn't really cleaned it and dried it off properly before they put it away. And when they took it out for the Giro, it's been all rusted up and corroded. (laughs) Whoops. Used hard and put away wet. Following all this, the question was, you know, what could the UCI have done better? And I, for once, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this. I think they've actually handled a pretty pretty unlucky situation as best they could on the spot. You know, and the question a lot of people have was, well, should the UCI not be bringing their own jig if it's them who want the rules enforced? And while I can completely see that argument and actually agree with it i also just know that for commissaires traveling from 
here, there, and everywhere. It's not always. It's, you know, these things are big, big devices. Like they're this. This isn't a tape measure and a spirit level. It's pretty big piece of equipment. So it probably just makes sense that it travels with the race organizers. You know, trucks and everything that they have going to whatever race they're going to be organizing. I don't. I don't know what the answer is. Um, they probably need some sort of backup device, but it's probably also not the answer to send it with commissaires or send trucks specifically from Switzerland to wherever a time trial might be happening to to carry a jig that doesn't really seem to work either. I mean, it seems like they could have just sent a message like a week or two in advance, being like, "Hey, Giro starts with a time trial. Can we double check that the jig's still working?" Mm. Mm. Not be like, "Oh, it's the morning of." Well, the, what do we do? The good what news do we do with that? Is, you know, the good news is this is the UCA, so there will be a full review conducted and lessons learned and new strategy <laughs> implemented, and you know it'll all be fixed by the time we get to the time trial on Sunday. That yeah, is very, exactly. very confidence inspiring. The, the UCI should travel with a jig jig, which just calibrates, <laughs> just measures, like it just confirms the calibration of the jig on location. Right. They could actually travel with that. I mean, all you'd need is some measuring rods, but um, I don't know. For me, that's uh, maybe that's I, the solution. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Where it was like almost to the day, uh, a year on from when they launched this new jig. Uh, it was like the second mm. of May last year, and it was the third. No, well, yeah. Anyway, it was like literally one day after uh, the one year anniversary of this new jig getting released that it failed them. Yeah, kind of when it mattered most. I I love mm. this so much because for me it's like the the time that we like the once a year where we have more than like the number of guests that our dining room table can seat. So you go down to like the the storeroom and you pull out your folding <laughs> chairs and you're like, oh no, they're moldy. And it's always like you know half an hour before everyone arrives. <laughs> That's what happened. But yeah, anyway, it's just so good. I mean, it's also so much up to like who's using the jig. Like I've been at time trial and you take the bike in the morning just to make sure everything passes right and it does and then you go up to the start ramp and they check it mm. again and they're like oh actually this doesn't pass you need to move the saddle back a centimeter or something you're like but i was here three hours ago <laughs> and the jig said it was fine yeah and they're, no, and well, they're that, like that's... well you're here now and it doesn't pass yeah that, that's like, the it's so much this like, new jig is that there's no there, there's there's theoretically that it's much more accurate there's there's no real user error uh, or opportunity Unless for it user air from what I have. after being around for yeah, a year. <laughs> I haven't actually seen it myself, but it uses lasers and algorithms, if I remember the press release mm-hmm. correctly. Uh, whereas the yeah. old one used cigars and glasses, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, clear, clearly, lasers and algorithms have no potential for error, obviously. So mm. fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Let, that, that's enough for this part here. We're running a little bit long, and I am mm. curious. Dave, what do you have on your mind this week? Uh, bearing extraction tools. Um, partly bearing because extraction? I, I, we sorry. just talked about bearing extraction. Sorry. Uh, I still have bearing extraction tools on my mind. No, actually, fastener <laughs> extraction tools have been on my mind, as well as bearing extraction. Just just extracting things. Um, poor Richie. He also had something extracted. But let's not go there. Um <laughs> Uh, no, so fastener <laughs> extraction. Uh, I I bought a new set of fastener extractors, bolt removers, um, out of curiosity, and I put them on Instagram. And then a mate of mine was like, "Oh, you should get this one. This one's the the way to go because this is what we use in the workshop all the time." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, I'll, I'll take his word. He works in big industry. 
I used to work for a high-end car manufacturer. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. I bought it, sent him a photo, like, got it. And he's like, oh, great. Can you let me know how they are? I've never used them. (laughs) Um, So anyway, after that stitch up, I've, uh, yeah, I've just been on my mind is fastener extraction. And I've also seen on our Discord, our member-only Discord, uh, a bit of occasional banter and chat about removing bolts once they strip out. And I guess what's on my mind is that uh, the best fastener extractor is just better tools and better uh, techniques that prevent you from ever needing to use a a bolt extractor. Because all the bolt extractors are kind of painful to use. If you're having to get a drill bit out and then actually extract a broken bolt, it's all of them suck. So, uh, yeah, I think the... What's on my mind is that people should really think through how they're removing bolts, whether the tool has a snug fit, whether they're loading up the bolt to stop the tool from camming out of it, uh, whether the bolt is frozen and what they can do to potentially unfreeze that bolt before they apply a large amount of torque to it. And yeah, all else fails. Uh, I would say there are still tools that will work with um, rounded bolt heads and that kind of thing. that should stop you from having to drill into that bolt. Um, If you're drilling into a bolt, that's a very, very last resort and things have gone quite bad and uh, there were probably a few steps that you missed along the way. Dave, can I recommend a Mm. bolt extraction tool that I'm I'm sure you don't have? Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually caught this on a mechanics forum that that I'm a member of. Uh, Someone someone in a shop, uh, clearly a very well-equipped shop, but someone in a shop had, had an issue with a a stripped bolt mm-hmm. and uh, instead of trying to drill a hole in it and trying to use a conventional bearing extractor or slotting the head or anything like that, uh, they spot welded a piece of metal onto yes. the head, onto the stripped head and yep. it worked wonderfully. Yeah. Not ideal for uh, a, uh, like say a Shimano shifter body or something like that. If you've no, got you a, a be, blade. You just have to be like very, very careful with the welder. Very yeah. careful. Very, very yeah. careful. Um, but yeah, so for those people that have, say, stripped out a the bolt head and now can't get any purchase in it, my favorite go-to is called Socket Out. It's an American-made product, and it's basically a wedge-shaped uh, hex key, or they do torques as well. Um, but yeah, it's basically a wedge-shaped hex key, so you, you kind of hammer it in, and it wedges itself in place, and then you just unwind the bolt. Um, and that has only failed me once or twice. Uh, every other time I've managed to get the bolt out pain-free with that thing. So um, they're expensive, pretty much impossible to find outside the US. I had to pick mine up in the US. Um, but yeah, it's it's one worth looking for. It's called is it Sock It Out or Sock Out? Sock It, sock it Out. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, McMaster like- also sell them. So yeah, not that I can order right. from them either. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right then. Well, let's... Uh, you know, I, I did have a PSA, but in the interest of time, I think we're just going to go ahead and wrap it up at this point because, oh, okay. as I mentioned earlier, we're we're running quite long, and I don't want to lose anybody here because we used to have a pretty good announcement to make. Oh, Ronan, hold, hold on. Ronan's got a thought. Well, I, I, I have one thing on my mind that I just want to share to put it on other people's minds that we don't need to discuss, but the one of the things that popped into my mind today, uh, we hear a lot about heat training and, and core body temperature and all that and how you want to pre-cool to improve performance and i was just wondering if you could pre-cool with ice cream because that seems yes, to me like definitely. the best <laughs> would, would it be definitely. effective for performance because it would definitely be the tastiest option yeah as long as you're not lactose intolerant i could see it um being 
I'm sure there's an option there too. Well, yeah. Ronan, I think clearly this question requires some research because I think you need to get mm-hmm. one of those internal temperature monitors and then you need to ingest copious uh, amounts of ice cream. I don't know. What did you say? Like, yeah, it's some, some obscene amount of ice cream before a critical time trial or so and then see if it has an effect, a positive effect on your on your core temperature as well as a positive effect on your on your race performance. So mm. why don't you go ahead and, and get going on that and you can report back to us. We'll do right now. okay all right anyway as i was saying we do have a big announcement to make uh because next week's geek warning is going to be a live recording in front of our uh private discord audience uh if you're a member of the escape collective you can go ahead and hop into our private discord channel and and uh become a member of our live audience for next week's geek warning it's going to be a ask a wrench episode where uh we may have just a little bit of news but we are essentially just going to be asking or having having participants ask a whole bunch of wrenching questions, uh, and that panel will include Dave and myself and Zach and uh, Brad Copeland is going to be with us as well. Mm. Uh, Brad, I think many of you will recognize from the World Cup mountain bike circuit. Um, it's a pretty well-known mechanic and should have answers to a whole lot of questions. So anyway, if you are not yet a member of the Escape Collective, please go ahead and sign up because then you gain access to that Discord channel and a whole bunch of other things, not to mention all the content on escapecollective.com now, not just .cc. We have secured the .com domain and we are, we can go ahead and go public with that. So that's really good news. Um, and if you are already a member, thank you very much. Uh, if you like what you hear on the podcast here, I, I think we don't really remind people about this enough. Please go ahead and head over to iTunes and give us a rating or review because it really does help us uh, find more people, uh, find a bigger audience for the show. And because you maybe have noticed that we have no ads on this podcast, and we're gonna we're gonna keep Geek Warning ad free. So right mm-hmm. now, Geek Warning is going to be purely member funded. So uh, in order to keep things going, we need more members to fund it. So. Uh, again, if you're already a member, thanks. If you're not, please consider signing up. Uh, and with that, thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Yeah.